Hi again. Welcome back to the Scandinavian History Podcast. Last time, we talked about the political structure of the Icelandic Commonwealth. In the year 930, the Althing, the General Assembly, was established by the leading men of Iceland, the so-called Gothar. The Althing had the authority to pass laws and settle disputes for all Icelanders. But since there was no executive branch, it was largely up to the individual and his family to make sure that his rights were respected. Today, we'll return to the exploration of new lands. We'll follow two famous Scandinavians, Eric the Red and his son, Leif Eriksson, on their journeys where no Viking had gone before. Eric explored, named and settled Greenland, and his son took the remaining step and crossed the Atlantic Ocean completely, almost 500 years before Christopher Columbus. Episode 12, The Final Frontier. Our two main sources of information about Viking voyages all the way across the Atlantic Ocean to what's today Canada are the Saga of Eric the Red and the Saga of the Greenlanders. The sagas tell the story of how Eric the Red discovered and led the Scandinavian colonization of Greenland. They also include descriptions about how Eric's children, most famously his son Leif, ventured even further west and found new land brimming with all kinds of goodies, but also hostile locals. Like so many other sagas, their credibility as sources to historical knowledge can be undermined by the fact that they were written down some 250 years after the events they describe. Just imagine if we sat down today to write the account of the Seven Years' War based on oral tradition passed down from generation to generation. It doesn't help their credibility that the sources also contradict each other at times. Interestingly enough though, these two sagas aren't the oldest written records that we have relating to Scandinavians finding land west of Iceland. The very first source was actually written by a German chronicler named Adam of Bremen, who lived already in the second half of the 11th century, only a few decades after Eric the Red and his son. Adam visited Denmark and there he heard about how Scandinavian sailors had found land far to the west of Iceland. But Adam of Bremen's grasp of geography wasn't as solid as one could have wished and he mixed up the Scandinavian name for this new land, Vinland, with Wendland, a region on the Baltic Sea coast to the east of Denmark. He also insisted that a Norwegian expedition sailing north had barely avoided going over the edge of the flat earth. The shaky status of the sources made it possible for people who doubted any European trips to North America before Christopher Columbus to deny the veracity of their claims. Reasonable people could reasonably claim that there wasn't a shred of credible evidence to indicate that Scandinavians had actually reached the New World almost 500 years before the representatives of the Catholic monarchs of Spain. It's not their fault it turned out that they were wrong. In the 20th century, archaeologists found proof that Scandinavians did in fact reach North America. Even though this obviously doesn't prove that the sagas are correct in every detail, it at least gives us reason to look at these texts when we discuss voyages to the land the Vikings knew as Vinland. The story of the discovery of the New World began around the year 960, back in Rogaland in southwestern Norway. There, a man called Thorvald Oswaldsson killed a few people, so he had to leave Norway and he went to Iceland, where he settled in Hornastrandir in northwestern Iceland. He brought with him his 10-year-old son, Erik Thorvaldsson, better known to us as Erik the Red. 
There is no consensus where the nickname The Red comes from. Some say he was called that because of the color of his beard. Others claim it's because he was a ruthless fellow who killed people left and right. It's hard to tell. Ruthless killing was common back then, so it's not necessarily a good enough reason to call somebody The Red. But then again, ginger hair wasn't unheard of either. In any case, Eric was not a particularly pleasant man or a friendly neighbor, whatever color his beard might have been. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Thorwald and his son Eric arrived in Iceland after the end of the settlement period, which meant that they arrived too late to be able to lay claim to any of the best land on the island. It had been doled out at least 30 years previously. When Thorwald died sometime in the late 970s, Eric and his wife Theodhildur moved to Haukadalur, where Eric built a farm with the creative name Eriksstadir, or Eric's Place. But if he had hoped to settle down and live a quiet life happily ever after, it was not to be. Shortly after moving there, sometime around the year 982 or so, some of Eric's slaves started a landslide on a neighboring farm belonging to a man called Valthjolf. Valthjolf's friend, Eyjolf the Foul, killed Eric's slaves. In retaliation, Eric killed Eyjolf and another guy called Holmgangrafen. As a result, Eric had to leave Haukadal. Eric and his young family pulled up stakes and moved to the island of Uxne. Before leaving, Eric asked a man called Thorgest to keep an eye on some property for him, but when Eric came back to claim it, Thorgest said he'd lost it. Then Eric lost it, and they got into a bit of a fight. Eric killed Thorgest's two sons, and as the saga laconically puts it, a few other men. Things quickly escalated from there, and both Eric and Thorgest started to surround themselves with large retinues of armed men in anticipation of the next step in their budding feud. But their dispute was resolved at the Thing, resulting in Eric being sentenced to minor outlawry, and he had to leave Iceland for three years. So approximately in the year 982, Eric left Iceland. But instead of taking the expected route eastward to Norway or Ireland, he sailed west. He had heard stories about yet more unexplored land to the west of Iceland and wanted to check it out. According to tradition, the first Scandinavian to set eyes, but not foot, on this new land was a man called Gunnbjörn Ulfsson. Already almost a hundred years before Eric set out on his journey, Gunnbjörn had been the victim of the classic meteorological conditions that caused Vikings to find new land. A storm had pushed his, him and his ship so far west that he had sighted a previously unknown landmass that he had called Gunnbjarnaskir, or Gunnbjarnskeris, after himself. After Gunnbjörn, another guy called Snæbjörn Galti actually visited this new land and even tried to settle it. But the fact that his attempt at colonization had ended in failure didn't bother Eric the Red, who set out to make a go at settling over there. When Eric found the land Gunnbjörn had seen and Snæbjörn had visited, he rounded the southern tip of the island, later known as Cape Farewell, and sailed up the western coast. Here, he found land that might not have been inviting, but at least it was inhabitable. There were even some grassland and a little bit of forest. There were also more seals than in Iceland, and wild reindeer. As far as Eric was concerned, the island was uninhabited. Now we know that this wasn't true, since there were Inuits living in the northern part of the island, but considering the size of this new land, it's not at all impossible that Eric just didn't see anyone and drew the conclusion that the land was indeed uninhabited. According to the saga of Eric the Red, 
He spent his three years of exile exploring. The first winter he spent on the island of Eriksay, or Eriks Island. The second winter he passed in Eriksholmar, meaning Eriks Islands. The final summer he spent going north. After the end of this three-year outlawry, Eric returned to Iceland, determined to recruit people to join him in the settlement of this new land that he had found. He knew that the success of any settlement project would need the support of as many people as possible, so he not only regaled anyone within earshot of the bountiful land he had explored, but he even called this new land Greenland for PR purposes, deliberately giving it a more appealing name in order to get as many people as possible on board. Helped by a well-timed famine in Iceland, his sales pitch proved successful and many people, especially those living in poor land in Iceland, joined him in order to create better lives for themselves in Greenland. In the year 985 or 986, the first wave of Icelandic settlers arrived in Greenland under the leadership of Eric the Red. Others would follow in the decades to come, but that original expedition didn't get off to such a stellar start. Out of 25 ships that left for Greenland, only 14 arrived. 11 were lost at sea. And those who did make it to the new land alive soon found out that the dominant color in Greenland was far from green. In fact, only two areas of the southwest offered enough space that was free from ice and snow for a sufficiently long time of the year to enable people to actually live there. Despite the climate, the settlement actually proved to be sustainable, even though the population was never very large. It eventually grew to approximately 5,000 inhabitants, divided on two colonies on the southwest coast. The richer, better-off southern settlement, called the Eastern Settlement for Clarity, in modern-day Kakortok, was situated along a fjord they called Eriksfjord, and the Western Settlement was located close to present-day Nuuk. Eventually, a middle settlement grew up, but many people suggest it formed part of the Western Settlement. The colonizers lived in modest farms built from turf with a frame of driftwood because just like in Iceland it didn't take them long to deforest Greenland completely. Seals were an important source of nourishment. The people at an average Greenland farm would consume as much as 30 seals per year and they could also use the skins for ropes and clothing. During the summers, when the weather made it possible to travel, the settlers would send people to hunt for food and other valuable commodities, such as ivory from walrus tusks and beached whales. As I just mentioned, the eastern settlement was more prosperous, and there Eric the Red built his farm, called Brattalid. Despite the general conditions, Eric became a wealthy man, and as long as he lived, he was the unquestioned ruler of Greenland. He and his wife Theothildur had four children, a daughter called Fredis, and three sons, Leif, Thorvald and Thorstein. I don't think I'm risking much by stating that Leif Eriksson, also known as Leif the Lucky, was by far the most famous of the bunch. The sagas don't tell us when and where Leif was born, but he was probably born in Iceland before his father moved to Greenland, but he grew up at Brattalid in Greenland. Eric the Red doesn't seem to have been a very hands-on father, because Tyrker, one of Eric's slaves, was tasked with look, looking after Eric's children, and Leif was supposedly quite fond of Tyrker. In the year 999, Leif organized a crew and traveled from Greenland to Norway. That was the sort of thing you could do when your father was the chieftain. The trip didn't start too well though, because the ship blew off course and ended up in the Hebrides, where Leif Eriksson and his men spent the summer. 
During his stay in the Hebrides, Leif fell in love with the local noblewoman, Thorgunna. The feelings were mutual, and they eventually had two sons, Thorgil and Thorkel. After the detour to the Hebrides, Leif eventually arrived in Norway and even entered into the service of the Norwegian king, Olaf Tryggvason. Leif also converted to Christianity, and King Olaf sent him back to Greenland to win the island for Christ. Leif might have brought the message of Christianity to Greenland, but his father, Eric the Red, would have none of it. He remained a staunch follower of the Old Norse gods for his entire life. This put some strain on the relationship between Eric and Leif. It probably didn't help that Eric's wife, Leif's mother, embraced the new religion wholeheartedly, ordering the construction of Greenland's first church and even refusing to sleep with her husband unless he agreed to be baptized. On his way back from Norway to Greenland, where he would ruin his parents' marriage, Leif got lost yet again. Either he wasn't very lucky with the weather on his sea voyages, or maybe he wasn't much of a navigator, because his ship drifted off course again, and according to the saga of Eric the Red, Leif apparently sailed so far west that he caught sight of unknown land before realizing that he'd gone too far and turned back to Greenland. But the saga of the Greenlanders tells this story slightly differently. If that version of events is to be believed, Leif was not the first European to discover America. Instead, a merchant called Bjarni Herjolfsson, who was travelling from Norway to join his father in Eric the Red's new settlement, was the one who missed Greenland and sailed all the way to the New World. This was supposed to have been in the second year of Eric the Red's Greenland colony, so around the year 986 or so. Eventually Bjarni made it to Greenland, and after a while, rumors started to spread about his discovery of an unknown land to the west of Greenland. Leif Eriksson heard these rumors and went to see Bjarni to get to know more. Whether Bjarni or Leif first stumbled upon the new land, Leif was the one who decided to explore this unknown land. He gathered a crew of 35 people and asked his father Eric the Red to lead an expedition to the west. Eric was reluctant though, but Leif eventually managed to persuade him. As Eric and Leif were on their way down to the waiting ship, Eric's horse stumbled and he fell off and hurt his foot. Eric chose to interpret this as an ill omen and a sign that he should stay in Greenland. Leif couldn't convince him to change his mind and he had to take over the leadership of the expedition. Maybe Eric the Red really was concerned that the gods were sending him a sign. Or maybe he just made up the bad omen story not to be trapped with his born-again son on a cramped boat for God knows how long. Anyway, he made the wrong choice. That same year, a group of new immigrants arriving in Greenland brought with them a disease that killed many of the leading members of the settlement, including Eric the Red himself, who died that winter. Leif Eriksson and his crew obviously had no idea what was going on back in Greenland as they were exploring the coastline of the New World. First, they landed in a rocky and desolate place Leif named Helluland, or Flat Rockland. Further south, they encountered an area with forests, and Leif called it Markland, or Forestland. After two more days of sailing, they made a third and final stop. The southernmost area they explored they called Vinland, which can be interpreted as Wineland. We don't know for sure why he called it that, since even though the climate there is considerably better than Greenland, there are still no actual grapes growing in the area. Some scholars have pointed to all kinds of local berries, claiming that they are the grapes Leif Eriksson referred to, but there is no consensus on the issue. 
other scholars claim that the vin in question shouldn't be interpreted as wine, but rather as meadow. But then again, maybe the Christian Leif Erikson was familiar with the biblical story of the spies sent by Moses to survey the promised land who came back with a bounty of grapes. In that case, maybe the name Vinland is a poetic symbol of the potential of this new virgin land. But considering he called the other lands, flat rock land and forest land, maybe meadow land is the most likely after all. Anyway, Vinland offered leafy forests, plenty of salmon and far richer soil than any place the Scandinavians had ever settled before. As winter approached, Leif decided to establish a small settlement in Vinland and it was later called Leifsbuder by other Greenlanders who arrived in Vinland. In the spring, Leif and his crew returned to Greenland with a cargo of timber and local del delicacies. When Leif returned home to Brattalid and described what he had seen and done, his brother Thorvald was really excited and thought that there was still a lot of exploring to be done in Vinland. Leif offered him his ship for a new voyage, so Thorvald took a crew of 30 and set off to do a little exploring of his own. Thorvald and his crew found Vinland and they spent the winter in Leifsbuder, where they survived on fishing. In the spring, Thorvald sailed even further west, but they returned to Leifsbuder again for the next winter. The following summer, Thorvald went east and north of Leifsbuder, and one day he and the crew got off their boat in a nice forested spot. There, they encountered Native Americans for the first time. Three canoes showed up with three men in each, and the Scandinavians caught and killed eight of them. Unfortunately for the explorers, the ninth one escaped. In a development that should surprise absolutely no one, the man that survived raised the alarm and soon enough a larger force of Native Americans, who Thorwald and his companions called Skrelings, showed up and attacked the intruders. The Skrelings eventually retreated, but they did manage to wound Thorwald so badly that he died and was buried in Vinland. After that intermezzo, Thorwald's crew decided that they had explored quite enough and that it was high time to return to Greenland. When they returned and Thorstein Eriksson, Leif and Thorwald's third brother, heard about what had happened, he decided to go to Vinland himself. The primary goal of his expedition was to find Thorwald's body and bring it back to Greenland, but that didn't stop him from bringing his wife, Guthrid, along for the ride. Unfortunately for Thorstein, he, Guthrid and their crew of 25 never actually made it to Vinland. After looking for Leifsbuder the whole summer, they returned to Greenland and that winter Thorstein died. Not long after Thorstein's death, a rich man by the name of Thorfinn Karlsefni arrived in Greenland from Iceland. He spent the winter at Leif Eriksson's uh, house at uh, Brattalid and there he fell in love with the newly widowed Gudrid. She apparently got over Thorstein very quickly because she and Thorfinn Karlsefni tied the knot before spring arrived. Soon after they got married, Gudrid started to convince Thorfinn Karlsefni to lead a new expedition to Vinland, and in the end he agreed. He hired the largest crew yet and set off with no less than three ships. They found Leifsbuder and spent the winter there, living off a beached whale they found nearby. According to the saga of Eric the Red, the whale caused the crew to break up, as the unexpected windfall was proclaimed a gift from Thor, the god of thunder and protector of brave men. This offended some Christian crew members, who then decided to split from the expedition to go their separate way. The following summer, a group of Skrelings arrived at Leifsbuder, offering to trade skins for weapons, 
but Thorfinn was wary of handing over weapons to people he didn't know, so he only allowed his crew to offer the natives dairy products instead. The Skraelings actually accepted yogurt instead of swords, and the trade went off without incident, except for when a bull that the Greenlanders had brought with them scared the natives. That fall, Gudrid gave birth to a son called Snorri. That makes him the first European to be born across the Atlantic Ocean. But Thorfinn Karlsefni didn't get to enjoy the peace and quiet of family life for long. Not long after Snorri's birth, some Skraelings showed up again. Apparently, they were still interested in Scandinavian weaponry, because one of them tried to reach for a weapon. He really should have known better. The Skraeling who tried to grab a weapon was killed on the spot, and the others ran away. Predictably enough, they were soon back with a larger force, but the Scandinavians managed to fight them off with only a few casualties. Still, Thorfinn and his men decided that it was best to quit while they were ahead, and the following spring they returned to Greenland with a well-stocked cargo of New World goodies. Later, Thorfinn Karlsefni took his family to Iceland, where he established a long line of respectable members of society. If the saga is to be believed, several of Iceland's earliest bishops were among the descendants of Snorri, that first Scandinavian child born in Vinland. The saga also relates the story of a female explorer who went on an expedition to Vinland. She was none other than Leif Eriksson's sister, Freydis Eriksdottir, daughter of the quarrelsome and violent Erik the Red. And that, boys and girls, is what they call foreshadowing. She approached two brothers, Helgi and Finnbogi, who had re uh, recently arrived from Iceland, and suggested that they travel to Vinland together and share the profits 50-50. The newcomers agreed to the proposal made to them by the daughter of the founder of the settlement and the sister of its current chieftain. The agreement stipulated that neither Freydis nor the brothers could bring more than 30 men on board. This agreement was made to ensure that neither side had an unfair advantage against the other, but Freydis double-crossed her partners and brought along five extra men. You never know when some extra muscle and voting power might come in handy. Before leaving Greenland, Freydis asked her brother Leif to let her use the houses that he had built in Leifsbuder once she arrived in Vinland. Leif agreed, but stressed that she'd have to share them with Helgi and Finnbogi. That last little detail Freydis chose to keep to herself, and when the expedition reached Vinland, she refused to let the brothers use Leif's buildings, and instead forced the brothers to build their own. All of this can't have contributed to a particularly chummy atmosphere at Leifsbuder that winter. But Freydis wasn't done scheming quite yet. One early spring morning, she got up before everyone else and went to speak to Helgi and Finnbogi over at their separate camp. Finnbogi was the only one who was awake at the time, but he and Freydis had a productive little chat. Finnbogi said that he was really sorry for the sour mood and that he wanted to clear the air. Freydis agreed and said that she wanted to go back to Greenland. Since the brothers wanted to stay in Vinland, she suggested that they trade ships, since their ship was much larger and she needed space for all her crewmen and her, her half of the profits from the expedition. Finnbogi agreed and Freydis went home where she woke her husband. She told him that she'd offered to buy the brother's ship, but that they had answered her offer by hitting her. Her husband was incensed and agreed that honor demanded retribution. He snuck over to Helgi and Finnbogi's camp and tied up all their crewmen while they were still asleep. Then all the men were killed and only five women remained alive. There was no one in Freydis' crew who had the stomach to kill five tied up women, 
so Freydis grabbed an axe herself and chopped up the last five victims. Freydis might have been the daughter of the brutal Eric the Red, but she wasn't stupid. She realized it wouldn't look good if people heard about her chopping up five defenseless, not to mention completely innocent women. So she informed her whole crew that if anyone would breathe a single word about what had happened here, she'd kill them. Instead, they should all claim that Helgi and Finnbogi had opted to stay in Vinland for a little while longer. Even though I doubt there was anyone present who thought that Freydis was issuing an empty threat, you can't really get 35 people to keep quiet about a thing like that. Sure enough, Leif Eriksson found out about the massacre, but limited his response to cursing the killers. Not sure what Freydis did to the guy who snitched. Leif Eriksson, by the way, is last mentioned alive in the year 1019, but the sagas never say anything about when and where he died. He probably died in Greenland sometime before 1025, because in that year his son Thorkel was chieftain in Greenland. Nothing further is known about the descendants of Eric the Red, who disappear into the mist of history. Freydis' expedition was the last expedition to Vinland recorded in the sagas. Whether that particular expedition ever took place, or if it's the product of the saga author's imagination, no permanent settlement was ever established at Leifsbuthir or anywhere else in North America. Soon enough, Icelanders mostly stopped bothering with a long trip to Vinland altogether. But the Greenlanders continued to go there for timber in Markland, and they probably hunted for furs as well. These limited excursions might have continued for centuries, maybe for as long as the settlement in Greenland survived. An indication that Vinland was still on the mental map of the Greenlanders is the fact that the bishop based in Greenland, Erik Gupson, went there to try to convert the Skraelings in 1121. That was the last thing anyone ever heard from him, and when he hadn't returned three years later, a new bishop was sent to Greenland to take his place. No more Scandinavian attempts were made at saving any further souls in Vinland. The settlement in Greenland never flourished or grew into a truly independent colony. It survived thanks to supplies being brought in from Iceland, and to a certain extent from Markland. The Greenlanders struggled on until the 15th century, but eventually the island had to be abandoned. The climate cooled down, making it increasingly difficult to eke out a living in Greenland. Various pirate raids and increasing conflicts with Inuit migrants moving south into the area settled by the Scandinavians didn't help either. The fact that Norway eventually found itself under Danish rule and abandoned the Greenlanders to their fate also sped up the process. But the abandonment of Greenland didn't mean that the memory of Vinland was lost. The knowledge of the land beyond the sea to the west survived through the generations. The sagas written down in the 13th century described Heluland and Markland and Vinland as well as some Scandinavian expeditions there. There are even claims that Christopher Columbus himself, who claimed to have visited Iceland in 1477, heard about the Vinland expeditions, and that this was what inspired him to try to circumnavigate the world. Whether this is true or not, when the news of the discovery of the New World reached Iceland in the 16th century, there were plenty of people who made the connection between America and Vinland. Despite all of this, as I mentioned at the beginning of the, this episode, Far from everyone was convinced that Viking-aged Scandinavians had, in fact, been the first Europeans to set foot in America. But that was all about to change, with a dramatic turn of events reminiscent of when the 19th century German hobby archaeologist Heinrich Schliemann 
brought the city of Troy out of Homeric literary fiction and into the real world. No one knew for sure that Vinland was in fact situated in the New World, or that it had existed at all, until two Norwegian archaeologists, a married couple called Annestine and Helge Ingstad, discovered remains of a Scandinavian homestead in northern Newfoundland, Lanso Meadows, in 1960. This revolutionary discovery proved once and for all that Scandinavians did reach the New World almost 500 years before Columbus. Extensive excavations were carried out in the 1960s and 1970s. Radiocarbon dating of wooden objects found at Lanza Meadows has shown that the site was used for a short time around the year 1000. This fits perfectly with the saga narratives. Another find at the site that backs up the claims made in the sagas is pieces of jasper used by Viking Age Scandinavians to make fire. When these pieces were analyzed, the archaeologists could prove that they originated in Greenland and in Iceland. Even though the question of whether Scandinavians reached North America a thousand years ago has been conclusively answered in the affirmative, several questions still remain. For instance, archaeologists still argue about which site in the sagas can be identified with Lonzo Meadows and how far south Scandinavian explorers actually reached. Some claim that Lonzo Meadows is the site of Leifsbudir, the main site described in the sagas. Others aren't convinced and argue that Lanza Meadows was merely a ship repair station on the way to Vinland further south. So, the last word has not yet been said about Leif Erikson and other Scandinavian explorers along the west coast of the Atlantic Ocean. As late as in 2016, the remains of another settlement that might be of Scandinavian origin was found further south in Newfoundland. This or other still undiscovered sites will hopefully provide us with further information. Hopefully, we'll have reason to return to the Viking Age adventures in Vinland in the future. But next time, we're leaving the western corner of the Viking world and we'll be looking in the completely opposite direction, to the east. We'll follow the Vikings that crossed the Baltic Sea and sailed down the Russian rivers, laying the groundwork for a mighty empire, just not a Scandinavian one. I hope you'll join me then.